Hi, I'm Emily. Hi, I'm Nicole. And this is Yes Dude, the show about shit we like. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I am well. How are you? <sighs> I'm fine. So we went to Rogue yesterday uh, with our friend who works over there, or who works for Rogue. And we can drink the brewery. at a discount. What? The brewery. Yeah. So they have, like, two fire pits out back. They have, like, a covered tent, but everything else was open. So we sat by one of the fire pits that was totally open. And it was me and Stefan and then two of our friends and then one of their friends. And they sat on the other side. We sat on one side of the fire. So I felt pretty, like, spaced out. And by the time we left, people had just started to roll in. So there really wasn't hardly anybody else there for the time period that we were. So I felt good about it. I told myself that if too many people were there, I was going to (laughs) leave. Yeah. But it was chill. That's good. Yeah, it was a good time. We racked up a $360 bill. <laughs> the most I've ever done is 200 in Canada on accident. <laughs> but there were <laughs> there was five of us. We ordered food, and I think we all had at least three beers. And because Kenny gets a discount, they knocked it down to like 160 bucks. so it was great. Yeah, that's a good deal. Jacob and I accidentally spent 200 bucks at the Fountainhead in Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> is that when they just kept drink, bringing you drink after drink after drink? Yeah, the waiter was cute. <laughs> I mean... And also, he just... He, like... He just saw that our drinks were gone and he would just bring us new drinks. And we're like, oh, wait a second. I didn't ask for this, but okay. Right? Also, and you're also cute, so please bring each... me another drink. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we were uh, in Davies, which is the, like, West Hollywood of Vancouver. Okay. But they have just, like, fish bowls of condoms by the bathrooms, which is cool. I love that. And also drag queens showed up. Hell Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That place sounds awesome. Yeah, it was a good time. I want to go back to Vancouver, but the border's closed. It's only, it's not even that far away. It's literally like an eight-hour drive from here. If yeah, that. Jacob and I always drove. It takes longer to get from from there to the border than does to get to the from the border to Vancouver. Yeah. <laughs> it's so close. It is. Yeah. Ugh, I miss Vancouver. I want to go so bad. I love Vancouver. It's like my favorite city. I love it. It's gorgeous. We were only there the one day, but I did enjoy the time, our time there. Ugh, we need to go because Jacob and I know all the good spots. Yes, dude. Because we do we literally we have driven once. I think one time we went like over the bridge to like check out this park, but the rest of the time we just walk around. I love that. Yeah, we <laughs> we somehow. One night, I think we were trying to find Chinatown, but we had gone too far over and Mm. past Chinatown, and then we went, like, up, because (laughs) that's the direction of Chinatown, but we were past it, and then some guy tried to sell us weed, and then then we were, like, by the waterfront. (laughs) We're like, what just happened? (laughs) (laughs) He was chill about it, though. He was just, like, green, and we were like, oh, no, thanks. He's like, okay. (laughs) We moved on to the next person. Dude, that's what I loved about it up there. We were approached by several people who were just, like, asking for, like, change or, like, various different selling things. Dr- <laughs> selling drugs. Yeah. And we were just like, oh, sorry. Like, I don't have any cash. Or, oh, sorry. Like, not today. And they're like, okay, thanks. And, like, went on their merry way. They weren't, like, aggressive about it. Which, Dude, I have seen one angry person in Canada ever. I love Canada. <laughs> <laughs> we were at the bank changing our money over. Not that you need to because most places will accept your American money if you're close enough to the border, at least. Yeah. Uh, but we just like to have the Canadian money because we don't have to worry about the exchange. And also, we just want to have the, <laughs> the Canadian money. Mm-hmm. I have so many loonies and toonies in my wallet <laughs> that I can't do anything with. But we were at the bank waiting to, like, waiting in line. And there was a guy at the counter who didn't have an account at that bank, but he wanted to withdraw money. Because that, he said that a branch of that bank let him do it in surrey i'm like dude you have to go to surrey then Mm -hmm. or go to a bank that you have an account at he was just slightly raised his voice because they want to do it (laughs) she's like you don't have an account here you can't withdraw money if you don't have money right i know here in the states there's a credit union co-op and i'm a part of it like my credit union is a part of it and you can like go to banks that you don't have accounts at but that are also part of the partnership or yeah. alliance or whatever, and you can withdraw money there. But I don't know how it works in Canada. Me either. It, it wasn't a credit. It was like TD Bank or something. It's okay. like one of the, the biggest banks in Canada. Yes. <laughs> but um, that's wh- why I switched over to Wells Fargo. Because one day I went to Chase when I was still at Chase. I got a Chase account because I had a credit union account. Mm-hmm. 
like when I first got an account because we lived in a small town and <laughs> it's like better, <laughs> it's, you know, more friendly, customer friendly yeah. to go to like a small credit union. But um, it's just like regional. So I had to get an actual bank. And one day I went in to like cash a check because I had to pay rent or something. Um, but they wouldn't let me cash it if I didn't have that much in my account already, which like makes sense. But also at Wells Fargo, you can do that if even if you don't have an account. <laughs> like basically you just sign your check over to them. And when it goes through, they keep the check and they just give you the cash that day. Oh. So, <laughs> so I just switched over to Wells Fargo. I'm like, well, that was a lot easier. Yeah. I've heard Chase is kind of screwy. I have my credit card through them, but I won't open an account there. Yeah. I have not heard good things. Yeah. Also, I've noticed they tend to have higher interest rates, and I'm like, mm, no thanks. Yeah. We just didn't have very many bank options up there, so. Yeah, I think we had, like, KeyBank and US Bank. Yeah. And I don't like either one of those. No. <laughs> my work uses Key, but, like, I don't know that I'd use it as my personal. Chase also does one cool thing, which is, like, kind of gimmicky and also has nothing to do with banking, but they they have, like, some sort of partnership with Disneyland. So if you have one of their cards that has, like, the Disney print on it, you can get discounts at the parks. So that was, like, one of the reasons I went there, because I was moving to L.A. anyway. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I stayed up late, and then I took, like, a nap. And then I got up at, like, 10.30 and had coffee and watched the new episode of Shark Tank. Oh, man, it was a good one. You need to watch it. Yeah. So Damon... Was not having it with one of the guys who showed up. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, he has some, like, health and wellness product. And they did really well because of COVID, obviously. I can't remember if he said 4 million or 12 million. But they've done, like, a lot in sales. Okay, I feel like, like if you've so... done over 1 million, that's kind of a lot. Dude, yeah, okay. At least 4? Yeah, at least 4. So, I it might have been 12 million and they keep four percent of that i can't remember what it was but somehow the numbers four and twelve were involved <laughs> but damon's like okay so why are you here taking up carpet space from someone who actually needs our help and our money <laughs> i'm like yes thank you i was also thinking the same thing i was like why the fuck are they there i know what was their That's, reasoning Did i they have a reason? yelled that i yelled that at my tv he's like <laughs> you know we made this much i'm like why are you there then <laughs> what was their reason um, he said that he is 28 years old, but he needs the mindset of a 45-year-old shark. And I'm like, dude, no. No, you don't. Just get a business advisor. Exactly. Damon and I were on the same wavelength. <laughs> we're both like, mm, no, you just wanted some visibility for your brand. <laughs> like, You just came on here because people are going to see you on TV. Exactly. That's so frustrating. Yeah. It was what annoying. <laughs> yeah. In fact, right before we started recording, <laughs> Stefan had Shark Tank on. Mm-hmm. and The new season? Th- uh, I think, I don't know. It's whatever is on. T- I don't know. I was just <laughs> at the end of it. Um, but it was this product called Night Runner. And it was a spotlight that you put on your shoe for like runners so you can see the ground. Mm-hmm. And all four sharks gave him a deal. <laughs> oh, that happened. This also, all of them gave him a deal. I don't remember which product it was, but they got an offer from everyone. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. good job. They started out in like, Two of the sharks teamed up, and then two of the other sharks teamed up, and then... Oh my god, why can I not think of the blonde? What is her name? Lori. Thank you. (laughs) God, I wanted to call her Jamie, and I knew that wasn't right. No. Uh, Lori split from her partner and was like, I'm going to give you my own offer, blah, blah, blah. And then they all split and gave them their own (laughs) offers, and then I think they ended up going with Robert or something, but... Yeah. I was like, damn, I don't know that I've ever seen a product that gets, like, four. It's super rare. (laughs) No, yeah, they said that on this one. I can't remember which product it was. Speaking of, though, but, uh, I was scrolling LinkedIn, and I follow Mark Cuban on LinkedIn, and he posted something about uh, vegan, like a vegan food. It's called Unreal Deli, mm-hmm. and it's from Shark Tank. So... Yep. Have you seen it? Mm-hmm. Have you tried it? No. Oh, okay. I saw that I mean, I cream- know of it, because I'm in, like, a couple of Facebook groups. Is it new? So, like, I feel like I haven't heard of that. I don't think it's, like, new, new, but... I just thought it was cool. I screenshot it and I was like, oh, I have to tell Emily about this. Yeah. So, I don't. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's one brand called Worthington or something that I picked up at Sprouts one day because they have, 
like the deli slices. And I was reading the package and it was like plant-based foods since 1928 or something. And I'm like, muskies? <laughs> 1928 damn what did you even make back then right corn grits so or something that I don't was know. <laughs> i know that was confusing because it's all like frozen meat alternatives at this point they have like sausages and deli meats and stuff but they oh because they had like pastrami style or something which is not something that other brands make and i was like oh that sounds good interesting yeah that's cool yeah oh Go i on. had a protein bowl from life cuisine the other day it was um a cauliflower bowl it was mm-hmm. actually really, really, really good. I think it was like a beef and broccoli bowl or something like that. Yeah. But I was surprised at how filling and good that was <laughs> for being yeah. ca- like cauliflower. Sometimes I find cauliflower not to be super filling, but I was impressed. With- I love cauliflower. So do I. It's like my favorite vegetable. <laughs> but I just find that sometimes I don't feel full enough on it, or especially if it's a microwave meal, I'll end up making two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just because they're like 260 calories usually. <laughs> yeah. I'll usually do, like, uh, if I'm going to get some sort of, like, microwave bowl or something from, like, Amy's or something, I'll usually do that and then have, like, a veggie patty with it. Ooh. I should actually get some veggie patty to just have around. Yeah. I do like those. Um, The Trader Joe's has, like, a Thai spice one that kind of tastes like an egg roll. That was pretty good. Ooh. Yeah. It's like a Thai sweet chili something. It wasn't very spicy, but it tasted kind of like an egg roll. (laughs) I liked it. Yum. Yeah. And then I <laughs> and then I just watched horror movies. That is a great intro to my first topic, which is Halloween 2020 wrap up. Okay. Which for me, I was kind of curious. I'm always kind of curious to see like what the most popular candies and costumes are that year. So are we just talking about Halloween 2020? Yes. Okay. So this one, my title is actually called Halloween 2020 wrap up. So okay. basically I researched costume lists i've noted a couple cool states that had fun costumes and i'm gonna talk a little bit about my costume and some cool ways to hand out candy that i saw also cool costumes uh obviously this year's halloween looked a little different for everyone uh you stayed home i went out during the daytime i guess um i know some people went out at night dressed up i did not dress up on halloween itself but i did dress up on friday for work i did i did (laughs) i was mary sanderson from Hocus Pocus. Little tie-in. <laughs> yes. Uh, I did decide on Wednesday that I needed an outfit. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to Spirit at 10 p.m. and bought a Mary Sanderson costume. So it, my choices were Sally, yeah, Sally Skellington, Mad Hatter, or Mary Sanderson. And obviously Mary's the coolest of the three of them. So I went with her. But I really did want to do Sally. They had some really cool Sally costumes there. So maybe next year. Yeah. They even had the red wig. If I'm going to do Sally, I'm going to, like, do it all the way and paint my body. <laughs> this is my only thing. Yeah. So I would have to have somewhere to go that was worth that much effort. Right. <laughs> so Fright Geist is... One thing I think is really cool about the age that we live in, specifically, like, 2020, is all, like I've talked about before, the digital data available to us. So Google Trends took all of their internet searches and put it into what they call Fright Geist. It's a website that... Uh, lists the most popular costumes. Uh, it generates costumes for you based on uh, s- several different sliding scales. You set the settings and they suggest costumes based on that. Uh, and then a map of popular costumes by region and city. So all of that data is available to them because obviously they're the website search engine host. So they get all mm-hmm. of that. Take a guess as to what the number one costume was this year. That was Googled. Tiger King. No. Really? Yes. I've seen several Tiger Kings. I've seen several Tiger Kings too, but there was a drastic increase in this, this year for me that I saw. What? Okay. This, so number one is a witch. (laughs) Number one was a witch outfit. I would never have guessed that. No. Okay. So I'm part of several (laughs) Facebook groups that are large majority of girls Mm -hmm. or people who identify as female. And I saw this year probably 15 different Coven shoots. Like... I've never seen that many people do witch coven shoots before, <laughs> like fudge, like photo shoots. So I was like, what the hell? I was a witch, obviously, Mary Sanderson, but I had two other witches at my work. Um, so while I was surprised that it was number one, I was also not surprised because I saw, like I just saying, like a drastic increase in 
witchy attire and apparel this year. Uh, that topped the list with 12 states. Uh, it was number one in 12 of our 50 states. So Yeah, I never would have guessed that because it is not even remotely 2020 right? related. Right. My only guess is, though, is that, like, crystals it's and it was, like, a full moon and, like, yeah, that type of thing. Take a stab at what number two is. I would have never guessed this one. No, it's not even on the top ten, dude. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I don't know what else happened this year. It's not 2020 related. Oh, okay. Well, my friend Amy dressed up as Coraline. Negative. Probably not that. Dinosaur. Also, oh, okay. I was going to say also I saw David Bowie. Oh. Actually, sorry. I saw Ziggy Stardust. (laughs) There you go. Uh, No, Dinosaur was number two on the list. Uh, it was number one in seven states. Number three? Take a stab at what that one is. <laughs> I need a, at least, is it 2020 related or not? It is not. Because I'm going to keep saying tiger. It is not, <laughs> and it is an animal. It's an animal? Yes. A penguin. A tiger. <laughs> is it a tiger? Negative. It's a rabbit. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I'm a mouse. Duh. <laughs> uh, number four could be 2020 related-ish. A nurse? <laughs> Negative. <laughs> I don't know then. Uh, it's more movie based. Nothing's come out. <laughs> Sonic. I don't know. Uh, that was on the list, but it wasn't in the top ten. No, number four is Harley Quinn, and that was number one in three states. Oh, I guess Birds of Prey. Yes, was last year. Number five was a clown. Number six was an angel. Number seven was Fortnite. Still. Yeah. Number eight was a devil. Number nine was ninja. And number 10 was Spider-Man. What generic un-year-based costumes. Right? I feel like everyone just kind of reused their old costumes because they knew they weren't doing anything special. That's probably it. My ass went out and bought a $75 costume. <laughs> I made up for everybody else. Yeah. Um, so most searched by state. I just picked a couple states that you and I are familiar with and... A couple of them that actually surprised me that were the top searched in that state. So for Arizona, what do you think Arizona... It's It was on the top 10 list that I just mentioned. I don't even remember what you just said. Dinosaur. I don't know. No. Rabbit. Oh. <laughs> My guess is like more like a Playboy bunny or something. But rabbit is more family friendly, I guess. Oregon's was also on that list. The top search was Fortnite. <laughs> really? Yeah, apparently. Oh, that's surprising to me. Yeah. Uh, Washington's most searched by state, or most searched was an angel costume. Weird. California was a witch. (laughs) And then the last three I have here surprised me. Uh, New Mexico, (laughs) clueless costume. I think that would be fun. I mean, yeah, it's easy. Hawaii was Monsters, Inc. They haven't come out. These are coming from out of nowhere. Yes, which is why I was so surprised. Uh, Kansas was Mickey and Minnie Mouse. Classic. Yeah, but I'm like, Kansas? I could see (laughs) Disneyland, like in California or something, but Kansas? No, no one wants to dress up like Mickey and Minnie (laughs) in California. So, on the interactive map, it suggests costumes for you. I typed in my costume, which was Hocus Pocus themed, and. Hocus Pocus themed outfits ranked 37th nationally overall. And the top five cities that it was most popular in was Omaha, Nebraska, Los Angeles, California, Bakersfield, California, Columbus, Ohio, and Washington, D.C. So those are all cities where Hocus Pocus was researched the most. Uh, Hocus Pocus outfits have been trending up since 2016. There's been a large trend in that movie. Mm Mm-hmm. My guess is probably because that was the 25th anniversary of the movie. Because it came 2016? out in 2016? Yeah, it came out in 1991. Pretty sure it came out in 93. Did it? I talked about it last week. <laughs> yeah. I know. I thought you said 91. No, it came out in 93, the same year as Nightmare Before Christmas. It, oh, it was 93. Okay. Well, that doesn't make sense then. So that was <laughs> yeah, the 23 year anniversary. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it's been trending up since then. The top five outfits for Portland, based off of geolocation. Were mm-hmm. vampire, Deadpool, pumpkin, ninja, and devil. You can tell nothing happened this year. Right? Like, these are all, like, lame-ass costumes. How generic. Right? So... Man, I remember when the year Hugh Hefner died. Do you know how many Hugh Hefners I saw? Probably a lot. <laughs> yeah. The coolest group costume I saw was Cruella and her Dalmatians. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which were really cool. I liked that. That was a cool little costume. 
Yeah. Most popular candy for 2020? Take a stab at num. Actually, we're going to talk about the trend first. So, most popular candies of 2020. There was a trend that switched to fruity candies versus chocolate. Kind of. My guess was going to be fruity. So. Yeah. So, although the first one is not. Okay. So, most popular candy of 2020. Number one. Reese's. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I did talk about most popular candies and 16 and 17 it was Reese's. So, (laughs) it was a safe bet. Uh, Number two. Are the rest fruity? Not all of them, no. I'll tell okay. you whether they're fruity or not. Number two okay. is fruity. Skittles. <laughs> yes. Was it really? Yes. <laughs> I didn't really believe that. I was just like, <laughs> what's a fruity candy? Name anything. Yep. Uh, number three is also fruity. Starburst. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> number four is chocolate. Number four is chocolate. Are any of them like a mix? No. Okay. Twix. Negative. M&M's. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I didn't even think about M&M's. <laughs> Number five is neither fruity nor chocolatey. So it's either a Necco wafer or a s- s- cinnamon candy. <laughs> Correct. Well, it's probably not a Necco wafer. <laughs> <laughs> Number five is a hot tamale. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, number six is candy corn. Nice. Number seven. Again. Right. Number seven, Sour Patch Kids. Yeah. Number eight, Hershey's Kisses. Huh. When I think of, I don't think I get kisses for Halloween. I don't know that I ever got those. Not often. It was always a little fun size four piece chocolate bar. Mm-hmm. Number nine was Jolly Ranchers and number 10 was Tootsie Pops. I almost said Jolly Ranchers for number two. Oh, but yeah, so those are the pop- most popular candies of 2020. In Oregon, the most popular candy was M&M's. Hmm. California was Skittles. Arizona is hot tamales. Gross. Yeah. What's wrong with them? What's wrong with you, dude? I love hot tamales. It's like my favorite candy. I don't like cinnamon things. Oh, we talked you. about this last week. I know, but <laughs> I love those so much. Uh, Washington was Tootsie Pops. Um, I did see some cool ways to hand out candy uh, in the COVID era, which I thought was pretty cool. Some mm-hmm. people popped open their glass part of their screen door and put a tube from the screen door down the, the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. And just like shot candy down there. I love that idea. Uh, I thought that was really cool. I saw def- several different variations of that. I also saw people hand candy out with a creepy hand claw net. So that was kind of cool. So yeah, I just thought it was neat that people were getting creative and but still able to do the traditional trick or treat, but safely. So that's kind of all. I just thought it was kind of interesting because every year, though, I'm curious. I'm like, what was this year's most popular candy? So, yeah, I like to know what the most popular costumes are, but well, same. <laughs> all of those things, I wonder. But now we know. Thanks to Google Trends and their Frightgeist website. Nice. Yes. <laughs> What's your first topic? My first topic is pickles. <gasps> yes. <laughs> I bought some in my they're in my fridge so i was like i'm gonna talk about pickles i love pickles so much yes me too (laughs) okay so there are two theories on when pickles first came about the either people believe they were developed for the workers who were building the great wall of china or possibly they were developed in the tigris valley of mesopotamia Mm. so either way a long ass time ago Mm mm-hmm Both are very ancient. (laughs) Yes. There are several different, like, kinds of pickles. Obviously, you know, like... Sweet and spicy, butter pickles, dill pickles. Is that what you're talking about? Was was the first one you said spicy? Sweet and spicy. Okay. I don't mean that. I mean, like, gherkin means something specific. Oh, yes. It's not just, like, another name for a pickle. So, like, depending on what they're called, they're usually made differently than the other ones so the first one is brined pickles and that is made through the traditional process of natural fermentation in a brine which makes them grow sour so there is no vinegar in the brine method it's just like salt and stuff and along with the regular brine it's usually seasoned with some sort of stuff (laughs) such as garlic horseradish dill white mustard seeds, 
grape, oak, <laughs> cherry, black currant, and bay laurel leaves. I don't know if a bay laurel leaf is a bay leaf. That would be my suggestion, or my, my guess, but... Yeah, same. But also, I don't know. Allspice, and obviously, salt is the most important <laughs> ingredient in the entire thing. Yeah. But because there is no vinegar in the brine method, the usually grows a layer of bacteria on the top of the liquid, so they just scrape that off, and it's all good. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Uh, bread and butter pickles are a trash pickle, but... Agreed. <laughs> but I'm going to talk about them because they are a specific kind of pickle. Uh, I hate a sweet pickle of any kind. <laughs> I second that motion. But I do think that this is interesting. So a bread and butter pickle is a usually a sliced cucumber, so they usually just come as the chips and not like a whole pickle, uh, soaked in a mixture of vinegar, sugar, and spices. And that can be made either through the traditional canned method, you know, how you can things, mm-hmm. <laughs> or just as a chilled refrigerator pickle. So you just put them in the jar and pop them in the fridge. I remember my mom making fridge pickles when she was when I was younger, and it was always the bread and butter fridge ones. Yeah. I hate them. I mean, yeah. for bread and butter pickles, they were probably pretty good. I just don't like bread and butter <laughs> I pickles. I just don't like so. sweet pickles, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I do have the origins of bread and butter pickles. Possible. Well, not the origins, but the reason that we know them as bread and butter pickles, basically. So the actual recipe and creation was probably before the 20s, if pickles have been around since the Great Wall of China. But the story goes that Omar and Cora Fanning were farmers in Illinois, and they started selling their sweet and sour pickles in the 20s. And in 1923, they trademarked the name Fanning's Bread and Butter Pickles. Um, And basically they named it that because the way that they got through like the harder seasons and years because they were farmers, they grew cucumbers and they would make the pickles with their surplus of cucumbers and then they would use like their stock to trade for supplies such as bread and butter. (laughs) Oh. That's why they're called bread and butter pickles, because that, that's how they survived in the winter and stuff. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, not cool that they had to, like... <laughs> that they struggled like that, yeah, but, but it's, it's interesting. Cool that they were able to, like, make do with what they had and survive. Yeah. <laughs> Gherkin is more about the kind of cucumber than the actual pickle. So gherkins are usually one to five inches long and have a bumpy skin. Very bumpy skin. Yes. I love gherkins. Cornichon. You, you said you like gherkins? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> They're fine. Um, cornichon is a style of gherkin. It is the French style made with vinegar and flavored with tarragon. I do like a cornichon. It's usually served on like deli trays and stuff. Yes. A kosher dill is my favorite. I love a kosher dill. The best pickle by far? Absolutely. Also, it doesn't mean that it was made... Uh, in the constructs of the Jewish dietary laws. It's just the style of Jewish New York City pickle makers. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) So it doesn't mean that it's actually kosher. (laughs) It's just how the Jewish pickle makers made them. And usually, uh, I get it said something about them not usually being called kosher (laughs) over there, like in New York, but I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> but if you see them on the grocery shelf, it's going to say kosher on it. Right. And I always just assumed that it actually was kosher and had no idea it was just the way they were made. <laughs> Me either. But they were, or they usually have garlic and dill in a salt brine. And you got to have that garlic in there. It's so good. It makes all the difference. Yes, it does. Very much. I wrote down 1899 thinking that I would remember exactly what that meant. <laughs> Let's just say that that was the, like, when they started making them that way. I don't remember. <laughs> the Hungarian style pickle is a leavened pickle. Levit? Leavened. Levened. Oh, leavened. <laughs> With an N. <laughs> like, like yeast. Yes. All, you know, the whole year they make regular pickles, but also in the summer they make them with just spices, water, and salt, and usually a 
slice or two <laughs> of bread in the top and bottom of the jar and then they just leave it out like they seal the jar up and they just leave it out in the sun to ferment because it's the summer it just ferments in the sun with the yeast and the bread weird yeah so that's a leavened pickle <laughs> polish and german style it said basically no information other than you can find this all over the world <laughs> i'm like okay but why is it different than other pickles right like what's the distinguishing <laughs> factor here well the one thing that i could kind of get out of it was that it they're brined for less time which means that they are less sour because there's a half sour and there's a full sour and then the polish and german is somewhere in the middle so it's like a three-quarter sour yeah kind of i guess <laughs> so the last one is a lime pickle lime lime like the fruit but not the fruit because it's made with pickling lime okay not not the fruit lime and that is they usually soak the cucumbers in the pickling lime for 24 hours because it uh, like fortifies the crunchiness Mm -hmm. so they don't get all soft when you put them in the brine so they soak them for 24 hours and then they rinse off the lime and then they put it in the vinegar and sugar and spices mix and then it becomes an actual pickle but it's crunchier than than other pickles that haven't been limed (laughs) that haven't been limed (laughs) have you ever heard of a quillicle Polickle? Cool lickle. With a K. Oh, yes, I have, actually. Yeah. I think that so. That was on the list. That was the last one. That was after Lime, and I'm like, I don't think I'm going to write that down. Oh, wait, hold on a second. Is it the frozen pickle on a stick? No. Oh, no, then no, I haven't. <laughs> no, it's a pickle made with Kool-Aid. Oh, God. No, I have not yeah, heard about that. It's a Kool-Aid pickle. So it's a lot more common in the South, but basically it's half brine, half Kool-Aid. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I've not had one, but I can't imagine I would like it if I don't like a sweet pickle. I was just going to say th- the same thing. I would try it just to try it, but mm-hmm. I don't know if I that I would it, like but... it. What? Yeah. Just to see if I would like it. But... Yeah, exactly. Just to have the experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a Southern thing. Ugh. Nally's. Okay. I know that like people who like pickles are like really into their pickles and you have to like, everyone has a preference. Nally's has they're so good they're kosher dills yes i was actually just gonna say my favorites oh. one of my all-time favorite snacks ever is the nelly baby kosher dills mm-hmm. with adam's chunky peanut butter okay i know that you think that that's weird but in 2012 the new york times wrote an article about the peanut butter and pickle sandwich and you are not the only one no i'm not <laughs> uh the more i talk about it the more i learn that it's a normal thing uh, yeah. But I had no fucking clue until I was, how old are we? 22, I think. Yeah. 21, something 22. like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I picked it up from a guy I was seeing at the time. And I love that snack so much. <laughs> yeah. It's a depression meal. Apparently a lot of grandmothers like it. So good. It makes but, sense because you get like the salt, but you also get like in the like. Peanut butter is slightly sweet, but not mm-hmm. like, you know, you're not putting frosting on a pickle. Right. But also, it's like, you get the protein from that, too. So. Yeah. Yeah. So good. <laughs> Literally. Stefan thinks I'm wild for... <laughs> yeah. For liking that. But uh, I think it's no, real good. No, it's common. <laughs> yeah. Real good. The sandwich sometimes has also butter on it. And I'm like, I know that that's like an English thing that they do over there. They put butter on all of their sandwiches for some reason. But... I've I heard, wouldn't do it without the butter. I've heard. I have not heard about the butter, but I have heard about people putting it honey on it, like a peanut butter pickle and honey sandwich. I do that with bananas. Yeah, I've also heard bananas of that. are already sweet. Yeah, also heard of that, but <laughs> I'm like, mm. I just don't like a bread and butter pickle, and I feel like adding something too sugary would get too close to that. <laughs> Maybe, but you also still get the bite of that like sour brine. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> either. I'll have to try it and let you know. Yeah. Um, so those are good. I don't like a Vlasic. I know it's like the air quotes classic pickle. It's just, it's a, it's a brine. It's not a vinegar base. So it's only salt. I need the vinegar. Yeah, same. I do like Vlasics, but they have to be the big pickles. It can't be the baby dills. Yeah. Mount Olive is good. We're not talking about like gourmet pickles. We're just talking about like the grocery store brand. On the shelf. Yeah. I do have the just the store brand in my thing right now. They're pretty good. 
It's just the little snacking pickles, because mm-hmm. that's really all I want. I just want to, like, grab one to eat. <laughs> right. But. When we were in Vegas last year, uh, my muscle cramped, because <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't drink enough water. But I bought that big-ass pickle from the grocery store, <laughs> and it helped. Yeah. So good. <laughs> yeah. So good for getting salt in your body. <laughs> yeah. That's a thing, also. Just drink some pickle juice or something. Mm-hmm. And I don't usually like to buy the like store packaged single pickles because i'm not about to pay four dollars for a big daddy pickle oh i know (laughs) but like that one was actually really good (laughs) yeah (laughs) i might contemplate buying another one of them at some point in my life yeah they sell the big pickles at disneyland i'm like that cannot be worth the price i don't know how much they're charging for that but (laughs) it's just a pickle right it's not even mickey shaped (laughs) like just a big pickle pickle on a stick yeah I have heard of frozen pickles on a stick before, obviously, because I mentioned it a second ago. Yeah, I've not heard that. Yeah, frozen pickle sickles. <laughs> yeah. That sounds strange. I don't know if I could get past the texture of it being a frozen pickle. Yeah, saying like the crunch of it. I f- and also, I feel like it's yeah. probably going to be too watery and just like a frozen solid block anyways. Exactly. I feel like it would freeze solid. And then if it thawed out, it would just be like mush inside. Yes. yes. Yeah. I agree. I have not had one, so I don't know, but I do another thing. I do like pickles. For me, like, a pickle will make a burger. Like, pickle, lettuce, or not even lettuce, pickle, tomato, onion. Like, Mm -hmm. that's all I need. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I like a spicy pickle. Usually, I just go with a kosher dill. If I'm going to get something spicy and pickled, it's going to be okra. Ooh. See, I'm an asparagus girl. I like my spicy asparagus. I've never had pickled asparagus. I just like okra. (laughs) So good. So good. I usually get them for my Bloody Marys, but occasionally I'll eat them raw. I'll eat a whole jar of pickled okra. (laughs) (laughs) That's basically me with the asparagus. And then I regret it later because my pee stinks. And I'm like, cool. (laughs) My turn? Yes. Okay. So this morning I was laying in bed and I look over and I'm like, Stefan, what should we do for breakfast? And he's like, and in the morning we're making waffles. (laughs) Uh, So my topic today is waffles. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The definition of a waffle. A waffle is a dish that is made from leavened batter or dough that is cooked between two plates that are patterned to give it a characteristic size, shape, and surface impression. So it's kind of a complex history. Um, (laughs) I took three and a half pages of notes on this topic. Nice. So waffles stemmed from an item called furahostes, Furahostes? F-E-R-A-H-O-S-T-I-E-S, which was actually just a communion wafer, iron, and... They also, waffles also stem from mule uble, which was a regular waffle iron, or not waffle, a regular wafer iron. Back in the day, wafers were made essentially from water, flour, and salt, occasionally wine. Um, But that was basically what the church used. It's what, and this is back way, way back. And this was like the ninth and 10th centuries back. So this is like the 800s. (laughs) The... Uble, you're going to hear me mention that word a lot, and I hopefully am saying it right, uh, Is was rounder and larger than the communion wafer irons. So the communion wafer irons obviously were, like, small because you can distribute them individually. But the ubles essentially became street vendors, like waffle street vendors in France. Mm-hmm. So both Fer Hoste and Moulet Ablé, Uble, were made from grain, flour, and water, like I just said. And they only started using other ingredients... Uh, in the 11th century that were brought over by the Crusades. Uh, One of the most popular flavors was orange blossom water, and eventually they started putting locally sourced honey in with theirs. So that was like the first flavored wafer. Yeah. And the 15th century is when the true distinction between the waffle and the ouble began to emerge. Uh, And basically that distinction was the shape. Um, The ouble was more round, flat and squishy, whereas the new waffle irons that were being made were rectangular. Some of the street vendors, uh, which themselves were called oubliers, uh, cut down their round ouble irons to be square-shaped. So, like, they basically wanted to break away from their original and start making something new. The French designed the shallow grid pattern we know today, and Belgian waffles developed the deep pockets uh, with more thick and fluffy batter versus the French, which was thin and crispy. In the mid-16th century, France had a rise in popularity in waffles. Francois I, uh, who was king of France from 19... Or not, sorry, 19. 
1494 through 1547, which was 53 years, he had a set of waffle irons cast in pure silver. So that <laughs> shows you how popular it was. His successor, the person he took over after him, Charles IX, had to lay down the law and enact a rule that oubliers could only or had to be a minimum of four yards away from one another. So like they were so popular, people were like 12 feet away from each other making these things, <laughs> like competing for business. And the, the king is like, yeah. no, <laughs> be respectful. Which I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, in the 18th century, Germany became a leader in producing waffle repis- re- waffle recipes that included coffee, hef- hef- <laughs> hefeweizen <laughs> beer yeast, cardamom, nutmeg, and sugar waffles. The French introduced whipped egg whites, lemon zest, Spanish wine, and cloves also in the 18th century. Uh, what else happened in the 18th century? The U.S. started to be heavily colonized uh, and became the U.S. in 1776. Uh, back in 1725, the word waffle appeared in a cookbook written by Robert Smith. There were four kinds of recipes that became popular throughout England and America during that time. And those are the Dutch waffle, the Belgian waffle, the German waffle, and the French waffle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first big rise in waffles here in the U.S. resulted in waffle parties, and they were known as waffle frolics. Uh, they were documented as early as 1744 in New Jersey, which doesn't surprise me because... New Jersey's right by New York, and that's where most immigrants were coming through at that time. So it makes sense that that's where it became popular first. By the early 20th century, only 29 professional waffle craftsmen, AKK, AKK. <laughs> <laughs> I've been reading too many KKK, anti KKK uh. tweets recently, apparently. Okay. <laughs> By the early 20th century, only 29 professional waffle craftsmen, a.k.a. the oubliers, remained in Paris. So they pretty much weeded themselves out. Waffles became an increasingly homemade product aided by General Electric's invention of the electric commercial waffle iron in 1918. By the mid-1930s, dry waffle and pancake mix had been marketed in the United States by several companies, including a team of three brothers from San Jose, California. The Dorsa brothers are who invented mass production of frozen waffles in 1953 and began operating under the name Ego. So that is how waffles came to be in the U.S., which I thought was really interesting. Sounds like there's like a lot of crossover and like a lot of different styles, but ultimately the defining definition is the fact, the defining difference between the waffles we know today and the waffles that they used to have back in like the 14 and 1500s is the fact that all the waffles we use today have something that like leavens them in them so like baking powder yeast baking soda those types of things this morning we made buttermilk waffles uh we did not use any oil we used butter which was uh, awesome crisped up a little bit more which i like so that was cool he Stefan found it off of a the new york, new york times cooking app which is pretty sweet <laughs> yeah i do find a lot of research from the new york times when i do stuff like that yeah we really love their cooking app what do you like on your waffles? So I prefer waffles to pancakes. Not quite as much as French toast. French toast is my number one. But <laughs> if, I'm gonna, if it's between waffles and pancakes, it's waffle every time. I it de- I mean, it depends on where I am. Because most of the time, if I'm having a waffle, it's like at a continental breakfast. <laughs> mm-hmm. But also, you never know if there's eggs in the batter. It's just, and also, I don't have a waffle iron, so I don't make them here. Usually just butter and syrup. Uh, my favorite combination is butter, peanut butter, and syrup. Mm-hmm. Classic. Uh, I also like fruit and fruit syrup. I prefer that on a pancake. Yeah. I don't know. I'm pretty picky with my pancakes. For me, it's very, very simple. I tend to fluff up my pan- or my waffles than I more than I do my pancakes. I do like a good bacon waffle. I know that's like, I know that not means. your thing, but <laughs> you basically just chop up bacon, put it in the batter, and oh. throw it in the iron. I really enjoy those. Adds a little salty element. Also like a good chocolate chip waffle. I don't add anything to the batter. No? <laughs> no. That's a that's a pancake thing. Pancakes <laughs> are too plain. You gotta do stuff to them. Right? That too. Uh, and also just like savory waffles. I think I've had like a rosemary waffle before with like fried chicken on it. That was really mm-hmm. good. I should have researched waffle cones. Like how that thing came to be. But there was just like such a complex history that I didn't want to do Yeah, too much. <laughs> But yeah, uh, we had waffles this morning. So I was like, you know what? I really like those today. I'm going to talk about them. So here we are. I do agree, though. Pancakes can be kind of plain. 
Mm-hmm. The only thing I really put on my pancakes, though, is peanut butter and syrup. Yeah. I don't do peanut butter. I want it to. I just want the syrup and the <laughs> butter for the most part. I'm a, do you like heavy syrup or light syrup? What does that mean? I mean, like, the amount of syrup you put on your pancakes or waffles. Oh, okay. I'm like, what, what is heavy syrup? <laughs> no, not corn syrup. <laughs> I want enough So Okay. The other thing about pancakes is that <laughs> I don't know how to eat them. Okay. <laughs> I don't, my, the OCD part of my brain says you can't just have the syrup on the top pancake because what about the other two pancakes if you have a three stack? How do you eat that? I don't want all three in one bite. I want the syrup on all of them. I want the butter on all of them. It's too stressful. Just give me a waffle. (laughs) (laughs) So I want the syrup to fill all of the little holes and then we're good. I don't really care. Okay. Uh, To answer your question on the three stack, I always butter each one and then pour a little bit of syrup in between each. Yeah. Um, so there's that. But also, for me, <laughs> if I fill I all too, the little but... holes in a waffle, that's too much syrup. No. I am a very light syrup person. There has to be enough that it's not dry and gross and gritty, but any more than that is sweet as hell. <laughs> so I'm a very light syrup person on my pancakes. Well, I also don't, waffles. like, order them when I'm out, because most of the time if I'm eating breakfast somewhere, it's I'm just going to get some sort of, like, hash without the eggs and meat. The best choice. Yeah, well, it's also the the only one that I can hope they're not cooking in butter and then pretend that it's vegan. But I, yeah, so I usually just have like, if I'm eating a waffle, it's probably a frozen waffle. So it's not that big anyway. I do like frozen waffles. At the beginning of quarantine, I bought myself a package of chocolate chip Eggos. The, so I like their little French toast tear apart ones. Those are good too. Yeah, those were my favorite. Um, as an adult, I like the Vans frozen waffles, the like super grain or whatever they're called. Those are pretty good. Oh, I don't know that I've had those. They were good. I liked it. It's like, it has like, you know, whole wheat and stuff, but they were also like kind of sweet a little bit on their own. So those were good. See, I like when things already have flavor and then you just like make it into something. Yeah. (laughs) Natural flavor. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The preferred method. Anyway, what's your last topic? Oh, we're done with waffles. Yes, we're done with waffles. I have nothing else. Do you have anything else? No, not really. It was just your topic, so. (laughs) Oh, I did read a, a cool stat though that... Waffle House Company serves an average 145 pancakes a minute. Hmm. That's a lot of I've pancakes. I've been to Waffle House ones. I have never been to a Waffle House, so. Yeah, we have them here. Kelsey and I went one night, like, after a movie or something. We were like, let's go get some food or something. Except it was, like, midnight and everything was closed. It was over Waffle House. <laughs> so we went there. Okay. <laughs> I'm excited that you talked about waffles. Yeah? Yeah. Because my second topic is food history. Oh. <laughs> yeah. How convenient. We Very both talked convenient. about That's food. A segue. And I almost said I do love a food history, but then you just kind of got right into waffles and I was like, oh, okay, I'll save it. <laughs> <laughs> so food history is the discipline interdisciplinary field that examines the history of food and nutrition and the cultural, economic, environmental, and socioeconomic, I guess, <laughs> impacts of food. I also, I just wrote socio- because that's all that would fit at the end. And I'm like, I'll remember what the end of that word is. <laughs> it has to be socioeconomic. I don't know what else it would be. It's important. <laughs> Food history is important. You can't study things and not know how people survived <laughs> back then. Food keeps us alive. It is linked to every activity and industry that humans are involved in. It is the foundation to most trading networks. Uh, and it affects governments, economics, religion, and warfare. I mean, I mean, it's really the foundation of us as humans, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> what do you need? You don't even necessarily need shelter to survive, but you have to have food. Mm-hmm. There is, there's no way around that one. No. <laughs> Cannot survive on air. You're not an air plant. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the Boston Tea Party is, you know, we learn about that. Mm-hmm. And that's a major food-related incident in American history. But even, like... One of the Louis was executed, or I don't know, there's like a bread shortage. And you think about, you know, the potato famine and people die or they survive and they figure it out. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, the things that I've talked about, I have, I've listed all the foods that I've talked about. I talked about coffee that is from Yemen, pizza, Italy, obviously, M&M's, American, but influenced by the Spanish Civil War, 
Hot dogs are German. Chili dogs came from Greece and Mexico, depending on which area of the U.S. you're talking about. Watermelon was an American... We had watermelon in America, but it goes back to freed slaves started growing watermelon, and it's a part of that culture. Red velvet is only around because of the Dutch process cocoa. <laughs> uh, Arizona tea only exists because of the black and brown communities that the creators of that company were distributing in before they came up with that company. Takis is in a bonus episode that we haven't posted yet. <laughs> Those are from Mexico. Pad Thai is obviously from Thailand. That's also going to go up before this one, but I haven't done that. <laughs> we haven't posted that yet <laughs> at the point of talking about it right now. But And then not even considering the ones that you've talked about, like... <laughs> Like, you know, waffles. Waffles. <laughs> oh, and I mean pickles, obviously. Oh, that too. It goes back to China, Asia, <laughs> at some point in that history. And we Americans are just so quick to be like, wow, that's so American. That's our favorite thing. And we love it. And it's like, that, <laughs> yeah, sure, that's part of your history, but you have to know where it came from. Right? Like, I, for <laughs> me, it's not even part of the history, it's part of the culture. Exactly. America is a melting pot and you have to credit the other cultures that came here. You can't be a patriot and whitewash everything. Yes, dude. I th- <laughs> Those two things don't exist together. I was going to go on a tangent about that, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I mean, go for it. You haven't heard my speech yet. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, like, one of the biggest revelations I've had as of late is that as Americans, we have a hard time. We take pride in the fact that we, quote unquote, welcome everyone and that we are a melting pot. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we have a hard time accepting that we weren't the first. And that I literally read a, I was when I was looking up stuff for this, I read an article from Forbes that <laughs> some old white dude wrote, and he was like, even the even us Americans had to have come here from somewhere else. And I'm like, not true. There were people here before Columbus. Yes. Like, for me, it's like, we weren't the first. Nothing is really ours. It's a combination of everyone here and everyone here was not always born here. So it's like this giant melting pot of things. And there's nothing really truly that's American, per se. You know, like, sure, we have items of our culture that have resulted from other, other cultures and things that were brought here and stem from that that are American that we claim. But, like, going back in the history, it came from somewhere else. And as Americans, we have a hard time accepting that, that nothing is truly our own. But yet we take the pride in the the fact that we have this big melting pot and that we welcome everyone and this and that. And that's, it drives me nuts. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. When you go back and you look at the things that the, you know, the pilgrims or whatever you want to call them, the invaders, invaders. (laughs) were, were saying about, you know, like the, the wilds of America before there were white people here. They're always talking about how th- these these savages have figured out somehow to survive. How do they do it? And it's like they figured out how to cultivate and harvest the plants that already go grow here. And then the white people showed up and ripped it all out and planted their European plants. And then everything died. And it's like, yeah, of course, because you didn't listen to the people who were here. Right? You didn't listen to the people who figured it out. Exactly. They knew white people. what they were doing, and then you came in and were like, mm, we know our plants better. <laughs> Typical white people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Was that the speech? No. Okay. <laughs> I have a speech. <laughs> I feel like I have, I should have more things to say about food history, but basically it was, you know, I love a food history, and I like finding out that things were created by immigrants and where they came from originally and i think that those things are important to know and to tell other people about right for me not only is it important to know from like a cultural standpoint but it's important to know because like one you can figure out that specific area or culture's way of cooking and cook it that Mm way um and two you can also kind of generally know what flavors go with which when you're cooking something so you can like spruce Mm. it up a little bit like if it's absolutely like that was one of the points that i was going to talk about thank you oh (laughs) Uh, when i was when i was looking up pickles actually and then i decided to talk about food history because pickles 
were an immigrant food. Obviously, I talked about Poland and Germany and France a little bit with the cornichons, but the uh, people were like writing newspaper articles and things about how all of these immigrant kids are on the street selling their or using their, you know, three cents that they get a week to buy pickles. And it's all of these flavors are just causing them to to go insane. There's too many flavors. And so people would like set up cooking classes in like the immigrant neighborhoods and teach them how to teach or how to cook like nice bland unseasoned American food and that's where the whole like white people don't like seasonings thing came from but also like it's true and it's based in old racist white people who were like hey we don't want to smell your curry or whatever so we're gonna teach you how to cook mashed potatoes (laughs) it's like so lame yeah so (laughs) mad but I know my ancestors yes me too would you like to hear my speech I would love to hear your speech okay from chili dogs to apple pie, pickles to watermelon, hamburgers to mac and cheese to Thanksgiving dinner, Americans have built a food culture based around ethnic foods and then covered the whole feast in mayonnaise and called it white. We know it was a different time. There's actually a word for people who discriminated against others just because it was the common culture. They're called racist. We no longer care about the motive, and we've come too far to pretend that the semantics ever mattered. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. You are absolutely correct. I'm gonna leave it at that because... <laughs> okay because but yes to all of that yes so the next time you're enjoying a chocolate chip cookie i don't know <laughs> chocolate chip cookies was on the list and they were like ruth wakefield invented the chocolate chip cookie and i'm like yeah you said nothing about her being an immigrant right <laughs> like what does chocolate chip cookie have to do with immigration but i mean yeah even like popcorn obviously <laughs> the pilgrims learned how to grow maize is like the one thing that we're told in in uh, elementary school right like they were already doing popcorn and like what's a movie without a bowl of popcorn right next time we should thank our native ancestors that yeah. founded that before us so next time you're enjoying anything good thank people who are not white usually <laughs> yeah i like it also the whole black people like watermelon thing is a bullshit stereotype yes i mean obviously we know that but like it straight up goes back to uh, the slave owners who had to release their slaves. And then the they, you know, had enough money at least to buy a little bit of land. And they knew how to grow things because they were the ones doing all the farm work. And they know that watermelon is going to grow well in that part of the, <laughs> the country. So they started growing watermelon and selling it. And then all the old white people were like, hey, you can't start doing that for yourselves. And so that's where the whole black people like watermelon thing came from is because old white people were mad that black people were being successful. Because they didn't have the skill. Fuck them. Yeah. And I, I read that article about them like setting up cooking classes to teach immigrants how to cook calm American food. And I'm like, hey, fuck you guys. That just makes me angry. <laughs> I know. That makes me so angry. Yeah. That's why when we were cooking that Caribbean fish stew, I was like, where did this come from? And it was like, obviously the caribbean so yeah. it's just kind of cool to like think about that while i was cooking the dish and like what that means because you and i've talked a lot about obviously you just listed all the foods you've talked about uh without let's say the ones that i've talked about which is also a lot <laughs> yeah um just like to think about all of the different factors that play into that like the coconut milk like obviously that didn't start here in the u.s like it was not yeah. a u.s thing like the fish that wasn't probably not a lot of America is landlocked. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah, like, that's not usually a thing. When I think American meal, I think meat potatoes, not fish and coconut soup. Like, soup. It yeah. was just a really cool, like, experience to, like, be able to to think beyond what the action, you know, mm. of just, oh, this is good. I'm going to eat it as to, like, where it came from. So, like yourself, I do yeah. appreciate food history. I love that. Yes. It is 9.46 here, which means that it's 10.46 <sighs> where you are. I know. I hate you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I forget. I'm like... I'm like, no, it's not. It's 1046. And then I remembered that it's daylight savings there. Yeah. I hate it. <laughs> it was supposed to be on the ballot, I think, this year. But obviously things got a little crazy. They took it got... off the ballot just because it's 2020? I mean, I think people just forgot about it because there are other issues to worry about this go-round. We can put it on the next one. Yeah. 
There'll that be another sucks, primary though. in two years, so. Yeah. Still sucks. It does suck, because that's another two years we have to wait. That's another four time changes you have to go through. Yeah, dude. <laughs> this one isn't so bad, because we got an extra hour, but the one in the spring is always the worst, because we lose an hour. Yeah. And now it gets dark at, like, 5 p.m. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the worst. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Did you have anything else? I do not. Okay. Well, if you are on Instagram and Twitter, you can find us at Yes Dude Podcast on both. Uh, hit us up. Tell us what you like. Tell us what your favorite food histories are. Where did your favorite food come from? Look into that. Uh, see <laughs> who created the things you like. You can go ahead and give us a review and a rating on whatever you're looking Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. And that's it. <laughs> I dig it. All right. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.